We are in the book of Exodus today. If you are new with us, my name is Ryan and I am your pastor. We are in a series called Restored where we are looking at Jesus in every book of the Bible. Each week is one book of the Bible, so you're actually here in the second week of the series. We looked at Genesis last week and Abraham sacrificing Isaac and the foreshadowing of pointing toward Jesus. If you are new to Christianity or you grew up in the church and and maybe you just didn't understand this or know this, but the whole Bible is all about Jesus. That's why we've got the big sign up here. It's not just because we like light bulbs and cutting Jesus letters out of things. It's because the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is teaching us things about Jesus. The whole aim of the Bible is Jesus, and today we are in Exodus looking at one of the most powerful stories that the Jewish people still celebrate today. Today we are looking at the story of the Passover lamb. When we were doing communion with the worship team beforehand, I said, you guys, today is a bloody Sunday because we have communion going on, and then we're talking about the Passover lamb. It's a very blood-oriented Sunday, and I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I could not understand why Christians were so obsessed with blood. I just didn't get it. Now, if you've been in the church your whole life, this may not make sense to you, but imagine just walking into a church building for the first time, and when you walk in, some guy is telling 120 teenagers all about some guy who bled for you. It doesn't make very much sense. We've talked about this, right? The crazy things Christians do that don't make sense. Remember when I told, I've shared the story about walking into my youth group and having my friends who were on my basketball teams with me and playing sports with me, and I saw them sing children's songs with hand motions, and they were 18 years old with beards? This is a weird thing that we do. And blood, likewise, is one of the concepts that the church talks about a lot, and I think we forget that outside of the church, it sounds crazy. I think we don't understand this, and this is why in Jesus' time and Paul's time, especially actually when when they would take communion, other people, outsiders, called Christians cannibals because they said at their gatherings, they're eating a man because they didn't know. And this is what we celebrated today. This is what we're going to celebrate as we step into Exodus. Before I get started, if you don't have this number on your phone, I would encourage you to save it. One of the things we began doing last week, which was an absolute riot, is that during the sermon, if you have questions that pop into your brain, so often this has been a one-way conversation in churches, I want to work at making it a two-way conversation so that you can text in your questions during the offering when we're passing those around. We're gonna, I'm going to answer a few of the questions, and for those of you who are online, The following week, I recorded a video, and then I just answered the rest of them. And I give my thoughts, I tie in scriptures, I point you to places in the Bible to read. So be sure and send in your questions. I already have people who have said, Pastor Ryan, this week I'm sending you in the craziest questions. So if you ask me um, crazy questions, I might not answer them from the pulpit, but I will answer every legitimate question in the video. So give it your best shot. If you want to know who the Nephilim are, um, that's on you. Go Google it, okay? We're going to pray. Are we ready? I'm ready. Is everyone ready? Okay, I'm ready. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you that you wrote a book down for us, that you breathed it into existence, that you inspired it so that we could see Jesus more clearly. Lord, I pray now, I pray that this message wouldn't be wouldn't be relegated to some historical fun facts, but that we would find your presence and find your love for us in the midst of this story. Lord, the Exodus story is is so much of our own lives, being brought from slavery to freedom, 
and in the order that you have ordained it to be. I pray now that those in here who don't see you as the most beautiful being and the most beautiful thing in their life, that their eyes would be opened and their ears would be uncorked, that we would behold Jesus this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. So there's a guy in the Bible. He's very famous. His name is Charlton Heston. Unless you're under 30, then his name is the Prince of Egypt. And it's a story of Moses. Now we forget sometimes that the Bible was real people, real characters, a real mother sending a real son into a real river in a real basket because other babies around were being killed. I don't know about you, but I, I can't see any of the mothers that I know doing that. That's a moment of desperation when you, you see there's no other way out. We've seen moments of desperation even in our lifetimes. For those of us who lived through 9-11, for those of us who have seen war or been to war, you've seen moments of desperation. This was a moment of desperation. Moses was sent down the river and raised amongst the Egyptians. We know this part of the story. What sometimes I think we forget is that Moses grew up and he didn't leave Egypt until he was a little bit older. Because in our minds, Charlton Heston is Moses. As much as we want to laugh at it and point jokes at it, so when Moses leaves, he's probably in his like 30s, 40s, according to the movie. But we know according to the Bible, he was 40 years old. Now I know many of you are thinking, okay, 40 years old. A career change at 40 is not an easy move, right? If you're going from selling insurance to opening a restaurant, the age of 40 is not the ideal age for that because you don't have as much energy. I'm learning this now. This has been a year for me um, that I'm calling falling apart year. Even uh, last night, it was so funny. My wife and I have been doing this exercise thing. She's doing her own thing. I'm doing my thing. But the other night, or last night, she said, Babe, what, what is this? Every time I move my legs, my hip pops. And I said, babe, this is called getting old. And she said, no, 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 it's something else. Look, and she showed me her hip pop. And I said, babe, watch this. Pop, pop. It's called getting old. Welcome to my world. You know, we're all going to be popping, drinking joint juice, and wearing glasses within 20 years. This is just the way it's going to go down. Now, career change at 40 is tough, but Moses went from the desert for 40 more years. So he didn't get into Pharaoh's land to say, let my people go until he was 80 years old. 80 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not very many 80-year-olds at my age that threaten me. Right? There's 80-year-olds that get mad at me, and it's usually in movie theaters, but there's not 80-year-olds that threaten me. They will, like, get up in my face, and they're all P90X ripped out. I have not had that happen in my life. But Moses was 80 when he went back to Pharaoh. And we've seen the movies. We, we know what happens next. Moses comes in and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. So Moses turns water to blood. I mean, if I'm Pharaoh at that point, I'm already freaking out. Right? If your whole primary water source gets turned to blood, something is going terribly awry. But the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and then the frogs came and then the gnats and then the flies and then the livestock got diseased and then the boils and then the hail and fire and then the locusts ate all the plants 
and then darkness covered the land. We tend to see this as a movie and forget that this was life. We tend to forget that it's not just Pharaoh and Moses, but there's a whole city of Egyptians who are going to be tossed and dragged by whatever Pharaoh decides or does not decide. And there's Israelites who had given up on God, and for the first time in 400 years, they're thinking, I think God might be on our side. Because for 400 years they had been enslaved. For 400 years they had been punished. For 400 years they had been working and having their backs beaten. And now all of a sudden God shows up through an 80-year-old man. And we get to the final plague, the death of the firstborn. And, and we, don't, we don't have this on the screen today because I, I want you to, to think about what this would have been like just hearing with your ears because the death of a firstborn across the land of Egypt is a monumentally powerful thing. In chapter 12 of Exodus, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. So stop right there. Now, I know that in life, sometimes we, we feel like we get stuck. Anyone ever feel stuck in life? You just got to get unstuck, or is it just me? I'm the only person that gets stuck. Sometimes I feel stuck in my parenting. Sometimes I don't know what to do. That's where I'm at right now with my three-year-old. I feel very stuck in parenting. Nothing we are doing is working. So if those of you who have parents or parenting kids that are well-adjusted and in their teen years or older, please come and talk to me. I need tips and help, okay? Or you can question and you can just text in, this is what I do with them. I just get a bigger spoon to feed them with, okay? <laughs> Whatever, whatever's going on with my daughter right now, I kid you not, she is a terror right now. I can't wait for the day that I am long gone and she's podcasting her dad's sermons and she's thinking, Dad, what was he talking about? Well, let me tell you, Savannah, what I'm talking about. Savannah, right now, every time I tell you to do something, you don't do it. And right now, every time you don't want to do something, Savannah, you put yourself in timeout because you know it's that bad. Savannah, right now in our life, every time you put yourself in timeout, I tell you to get out of the timeout chair and come to me, and you tell me you don't want to spank. Savannah... Every time you do get a spank, you put yourself back in the timeout chair, but you don't change your attitude, and you don't change your divaness, and you still slap your feet like this everywhere you're walking in my house, Savannah. Okay. I love you, baby. Okay. That's all. Now, now this is... This is me being stuck in parenting. Some of you are stuck in marriage. Some of you are stuck in your job. Some of you just feel stuck. The thing that was happening here was 400 years of stuckness. And God says, I am about to unstick you. I'm about to unstick you so much that we are starting a new calendar. This is the first month because this unsticking is going to shape the rest of your lives. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I love moments where you get to remember what God has done. I celebrated an anniversary uh, this week. It was nine years of marriage to my amazing woman. And, and when we sat down for anniversary, I said, babe, I love anniversaries. I love them way more than birthdays. 
And she said, why do you love them more than birthdays? And I said, because birthday, I didn't do anything. My parents did all the work, and I'm just here. And I'm celebrating every year on my birthday that I kept existing. Whereas on our anniversary, it's like, we made it. We didn't kill each other or one of our offspring. We are here. This is good. So we, I want to celebrate those anniversaries. I want to celebrate the things that God has brought me through and brought us through. And in the same way, I do it with my Christian life. For me, the calendar year isn't January to January. The month that I look forward to most is September. Because in September is when I got to marry my wife nine years ago. In September is when we had our first kiss. In September is also when God saved me and brought me into the Christian faith back in 1998. See, what I did there was really smart. I loaded everything up so I don't have to forget anything. So when I'm rounding into August, I'm like, okay, wait. Uh, Next month's important. Next month's important. I know I need cards and flowers for somebody. But it's the beginning of my year. Every year, I'm so excited that September is here. And and what's even more exciting for me is that now I've passed. Last year, I passed the halfway mark to where now this year will be the first legit year that I've been a follower of Christ longer than I was a heathen pagan rascal. And it's exciting because that's this month. This is the beginning. And some of you need this new beginning. And today... I think if we take what this story is meant to tell us about Jesus, you can have a new beginning. So here we are, 400 years. God says, I'm going to take the firstborn. So everyone, go get a lamb for your household. And then verse 4, he says, If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. So if there's only a few people, get together with your neighbors, and I want you all to get a lamb. The lamb is obviously very, very important. And he says in verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel and kill their lambs at twilight. Now for us who are in this era of, of living, this modern day, sacrificing animals I know seems weird. It's a, an, a weird concept because we don't even, most of us, I, I shouldn't say this because I know we have some lithia folk, most of us don't even see the animals we eat, right? Like when my kids see the fish before I fillet the fish, somehow in their minds it changes the flavor. And, and for those of you who have had the privilege of like, okay, there's the pig and now we're going to eat that pig, it is an odd experience, I was volunteering at a deaf orphanage in Mexico. We do it every year for Christmas. And I remember going down there, and the first year we went, this is like a rookie youth pastor mistake. So I got about 30 kids with me, taking them down to Mexico, and it was a little safer. And we would go down there, and the kids loved the animals. And they would, the first year they went down there, they named them. We're naming the pigs. We're naming the goats. And the guy at the, the deaf school orphanage said, hey, um, tell your students not to name the pigs. And I'm like, why? They're so cute. And he said, because we're going to eat them tomorrow. I was like, both of them? He said, maybe. And we did. We ate one of them. But it was the saddest thing to see these ninth and 10th grade, especially like the, the young, sweet guys. The guys, like they're in ninth grade, they haven't hit puberty yet. So they're like, oh, Porky the Pig. I'm like, yeah, Porky the Pig, all right. And then we eat them, and then the next day they go back to say hi to their friend Porky, not realizing that Porky was last night's stew. Now, in our culture, we just don't get it. 
But there, there was this pattern that the Bible's setting up, this pattern that you have to see. Every time you see death in the Bible, especially if it's a sacrifice, I want you to start thinking toward Jesus. Because we know in the garden, Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves, but when they left the garden, God had covered them with animal skins, which meant something had to die to pay for what they had done wrong. And then we go through the story of Abraham and Isaac where there was going to be the sacrifice and God provided the ram. And now we come to Exodus and God is setting up the structure. He's not doing it because he hates sheep and goats. He's not doing it because he hates lambs. He's setting up the sacrificial system so that every month or every week and for sure every year, every person in Israel is taking a perfect lamb to an altar where they would kill the lamb and let it bleed out. And then they would burn the lamb They wouldn't boil it. They wouldn't eat it raw. They would burn it as a symbol of that sacrifice rising to God. And then the priests would eat the parts of the lamb that God had ordained to do so. And every year they did it as a sin offering. Now, I don't know about you, but just the thought of that whole religious structure really, really creeps me out. Like if my sin were this, like if I I sinned against my wife or my kids or my neighbor and what I had to do the next week was bring Mary's little lamb on stage and kill it in front of all of my church community? Wouldn't that be a trip? I, I probably wouldn't have to talk about sin quite as much. Do you want to see how bad your sin is? Boom. Do you want to see how bad this thing is that you did against God? Boom. And and it would just roll with blood. Now, if some of you are squeamish about blood, I I need to apologize. Ever since I heard one very prominent pastor said, well, I just don't like to talk about blood a lot in my sermons, I took that as a personal challenge. It's like, by the time I die, I just want to be known as like this bloody pastor. Ah, Jesus died for all of us. I love that stuff. But, But that part of it. And then here's what happens. Now, for hundreds of years... Monthly, yearly, we sinned, we kill. We sinned, we kill. We sinned, we kill. We're going to get to something very important about that. But before we do, God's about to wipe out the firstborn of Egypt. And and it seems unfair. It seems like this is harsh. But Pharaoh has time and time again said, no, I will not. No, I will not. I will not submit to your God. So then in verse 29, it says, at midnight, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn of the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock. Okay, now, I intentionally skipped something here. Because the last plague is brutal. And the Spirit of God swept through. If you've never seen Prince of of Egypt, it's worth it for the scene where Moses is called and where the Spirit sweeps through Egypt. And the Spirit did something that the Jewish people celebrate to this day. It's called Passover. When they killed the very first lamb at the very first Passover, they were to take a brush and paint blood on the doorposts. And that was a sign to God to pass over this household, for these people are God's people. That day must have been one of those eerie, quiet days. You know those days when the world just seems to be ringing and it's like nobody is talking because something so so gravitas has happened? 
to see her neighbor taking out the same bucket and painting blood on his doorposts and looking at each other wondering what's going to happen. And then that night, to, to not divorce this from reality, when a, when a mother loses her firstborn son in front of her or in her arms, do you think there was not screaming across the city? And to think that there were families sitting in there, because this has never been done. Nobody had been painting blood on doorposts. And now all of a sudden, they're screaming, sweeping across the city. As God's people say, I, I don't know what's going on out there. I think this is it. I think God's spirit is here. And he's taking what's his. Well, this is the Passover. Pharaoh finally says, up, go out, get away from me and my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me also. After the tenth plague, Pharaoh just said, I can't do this. As Pharaoh had his own son passed in his arms, he said, I, this God is too much. Now, from the history nerd side of things, with the ten plagues, God was dismantling the Egyptian gods. God said, I am God. You have a God of the Nile, I'm going to turn it to blood. You have a God with a frog head, I'm going to make frogs do my command. You have a God of the, the harvest and the livestock, I'm going to systematically, God just said, you think your gods are the best? I'm one God and I'm going to wipe them all out. Boom, 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 boom. And then ultimately the God, uh, the sun God of Ra, God blocked it out to darkness and then God showed something at the very end. He said, you think that you have the God of death and the underworld? I'm going to show you that, that men and women die at my will and my command. Whether it's by a miracle or otherwise, all of us have our appointed days, and God will settle our accounts on the day that we are determined to pass. Now, this is a wild, wild story. I'm flipping over to Hebrews chapter 9, because this chapter makes sense of this bloody sacrifice, this bloody death-filled moment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. So here's what the Passover started. This moment where sin was seen as so serious that something had to die. We sin, something dies. We sin, something dies. Year after year after year. And this was not meant for us to finally say, okay, wait a second, I'm going to do this forever. That's not the purpose. If you want to know why the, the Jewish people and the Muslims are fighting over that one little flat square in Israel, it's because currently that is where the Jewish people have always had their temple. When Islam took it over, they built the Dome of the Rock, the place where they believe Muhammad ascended, right there on the temple where the Jewish people believe that they're still supposed to be sacrificing and they cannot. This is why there's the constant tension because the, the Islam people, they say, the Muslims are saying, this is our holy spot. And the Jewish people are saying, we can't sacrifice if you're here. One of us has to go. 
And currently, the tension is just rising and rising and rising. As the Bible says it will, there will be tension there. But this is why that exists, because the Jewish people are without a place of sacrifice right now. And they, in their minds, are thinking, we still need to sacrifice. But Jesus said, no, the point of sacrifice was to get you to me. Because Jesus is not just the perfect Lamb of God, he is also the priest. He is not just the one who gets sacrificed, he is the one who willingly said, I am going to orchestrate and administrate the whole thing. Now, Pastor Ryan, what does this have to do with me? Here's what it has to do with us. A couple of things. First, too many of us, especially within churches, play this this game, play this sort of practice that we think that it is our sacrifices that get us right with God. And I know not many of us would say that. I know, at least I hope, that none of us are actually sacrificing animals. What I do know, though, is that I see time and time and time again Christians that fail or succeed, and and they think that that's earning them God's love. I know time and time again, I I talk to parents, and I always, parents of kids in sports age, I always give them a hard time because they miss Sundays a lot because they're like, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to be at church this Sunday because we have soccer. And I always say, oh, yeah, go worship your soccer god. And they don't like that very much. Oh, we got a baseball tournament for the next three weekends. Oh, man, what a weak God that baseball God is. How does your idolatry taste? And and I joke around with them, but then I remind them. Because the thing is that, and especially now, because this is like a southern-esque area of our country, people feel guilty. So I tell them, I'm like, look, man, you know I'm messing with you. I I would love to be able to shame you into coming more and giving more and being more. But shame never motivates anybody for the long term. So what I tell them is, go play soccer with your kids, but you better like pray with them and do a little Bible study with them. You better be sharing the gospel with people because that's what the, the matter is. The meat of the matter is that we are the church. We don't go to church. The meat of the matter is that wherever we are, we're bringing God's love and presence there. I would love it if some of you enrolled your kids in a half dozen sports so you have to become helicopter mom and dads and you just have like a communion kit and you just take communion with people out in the soccer field. I mean, that would make my day. That Instagram post, I would love it and then unlove it and love it like a hundred times because this is what we're to do, to bring this presence, to bring this reminder that it's no longer these sacrifices. It's, It's not us doing things that make us right with God. It's that Jesus was the one that the sacrifices pointed to. And he went into the holiest place, and he didn't bring a goat. He was the lamb for us. If you missed uh, last week's Q&A video, this was actually a question from last week's. How were the Old Testament people saved? I'm not going to tell you the answer because I already answered it. You can go check it out. It's on the Facebook page. It's on the church email. I'll post that episode on the website uh, later this week, along with this week's episode. What I do need you to know is that every time as you read through the Bible reading plan, or as you open your Bible in the Old Testament, when you see sacrifice, you need to ask, how does Jesus fulfill this? When you see death of a lamb, how is Jesus the perfect lamb? When you see the high priest entering in, how is Jesus the perfect high priest entering in? Because he secured our eternal redemption. Just as a spoiler, the Old Testament people were not saved by killing of animals and the sacrificing of animals. They were saved the same way that we are saved. They were looking to God in faith for a redeemer, They were on this side of the cross looking to Jesus. We're on this side of the cross remembering Jesus. Two different vantage points, same point of focus.
he goes on to say in verse 18 of chapter 9, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, reminding us that even in the Old Testament, blood was very powerful, and blood was the sign of the covenant. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. The temple was a copy of a heavenly thing. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was a copy of a heavenly thing. As I was, uh, I was thinking this morning and praying, and as I drove in, I've been having this like weird thought in my brain that we need to understand more of the, the things that the Bible had built so we can see the scale. So we have like this master plan of building stuff out here, buildings, and we're going to build a park soon. We're starting to raise money for that now. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we built like the stage the same size as the tabernacle? and like the sanctuary the same size as the Temple Mount. So you could walk in and be like, oh, now I get it. And I mean, it'd be cool also if we had a big old box covered in solid gold, but I'm not going to push my luck, okay? <laughs> what we do need to know is that in the Old Testament, everything is a foreshadow and an arrow to Jesus. The Passover lamb is, is for you today. And here's what some of us need to do. Some of us know then in our lives, we're running this race, and we think we're pleasing God, doing great. But some of us know areas of our life where we have not put the blood over it. We have not allowed God's forgiveness to break in. We have not allowed God's love and hope to break in. And it's like you have these doorways where we have our family door, and then we've got our parenting door, and then we've got our job door, and then we've got our recreation door. And some of them were more than happy to paint the blood. Some of them were thinking, okay, here's my family door. I don't want my kids to just be total jerks when they grow up, so I'm going to paint blood on this. We're going to Sunday school every day. And I'm playing soccer, but we're ditching soccer because I'm more godly than those other soccer idolaters. And then, I'm just kidding, and then you go to your, your work door maybe, like, well, I'm going to paint half my work door because I, I like to bring Jesus into my work, but only until I need to fume at somebody and blow a head gasket. And then I don't want Jesus in that. And then maybe our, our recreation door where we're painting it, we think, wait, does Jesus accept Miller Lite? No. He doesn't, because Miller Lite is light beer, okay? Drink real beer, people. But, but what are you, but honestly, though, what areas of your life have you not put the blood over? Because when you realize that Jesus died for every area of your life, it changes all of your life. When you realize that there's no area that God cannot work into, then, then your whole life can begin to open up. When you realize that God knows everything that you've done and everything that you've thought, and he looks at you and said, yes, I knew exactly how terrible you were going to be, and yet I died for you. We had our first soccer game that I'm coaching at um, yesterday. This is so good. There was, I don't know how many people, how many people, Chuck? 280 people, kids just running around like crazy. And all these coaches, and I'm one of the coaches, and I'm also the pastor here. I didn't tell the other coach on my team that I was a pastor here because it became evident very clearly on that my coaching was subpar in, in the estimation of this person. So out of all the games that were played and everything that went on, um, <laughs> the one email got sent in to Endzone, the, the company that runs it, and it was complaining about me. <laughs> one email. <laughs> it was like how like, I had bullies on my team. And guess who one of the bullies was? My kid. 
And this is what I love most of all. <laughs> Chuck, who I, I just love, he listens to my sermons. I know this because of what he told me this morning. He said, yeah, I thought about just sending him an email back saying, my pastor is even worse than you think he is. <laughs> because it's true. I'm worse than that guy thinks I am. And Jackson's more of a bully than that guy will ever know. And God loves us. God has passed over my shortcomings as a dad because of what Jesus has done on the cross. God has passed over my shortcomings as a husband because of what Jesus has done on the cross. God has passed over my shortcomings as a pastor because of what Jesus has done on the cross. God has passed over all of your shortcomings. And when your shortcomings are redeemed, when the blood has covered them, for the first time in your life, you can stand before God and others and say, I've got nothing to prove because God has approved of me got nothing to achieve because God has achieved it all. I'm free. And you can exhale. Some of you need freedom. This week I would encourage you to search diligently for that freedom. To ask yourself, where am I not putting the blood of Jesus over my life? Where am I not accepting the forgiveness and freedom? Where have I been trying to do it on my own? Have I been parenting with white knuckles and gritted teeth have I been working through anxiety and anger? Where do I need the blood of Christ to cover my life so that I, like the Israelites, can simply put my head down and thank God that he's passed over my sins? Lastly, I, I just want to say, because we, we missed this one, this is shadowed all over the Bible. This is a pop quiz, ready? For those of you kids who grew up in church. What came first? Did God free the Israelites first or give them the Ten Commandments first? Freed them first. Okay. I know that you know this if you watch the movies. Now here's what I need you to never, never forget. If you forget, just go watch that four-hour saga of joy. You are freed first. If you go to a church, if you go to a Bible study, and they give you all the rules first, and they say, follow these rules, and then you'll be free. Just... Smack them, run. Unless it's me, don't smack me. God frees us, and then he says, now I'm going to show you how I wired the world. That's what the rules are. Not how I can slap you on the wrist or cosmically lightning bolt you, how I wired the world. But, but some of us don't realize it in the story. The first copy of that, Moses threw at a golden calf. Because while Moses had already led the people to freedom, he's up on the mountain, they said, I've got an idea. Let's build a fake God after God destroyed the other fake gods. So Moses comes down with the very first handwriting from God's finger himself, and Moses destroys it. I mean, talk about your classic dog ate my Ten Commandments excuse. I don't know what Moses said when he went back up. God, uh. So I have this temper issue, but you knew about that. So I, but you knew about that. So I just need another copy but you knew that. And then the Israelites have a track record of a thousand years of failing again and again and again and again and again. And then finally, we come and we still try to treat it that way. Okay, if, I'm, if I do all these, then God will accept me. No, God accepts you and frees you and then he shows you how the world is wired. Let it be so in your life. Let me pray and I'll invite the ushers to come on forward. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Passover lamb. 
I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be redeemed. God, I pray that you would bless our Q&A time. I pray that you would bless our offering this morning and that it would be all about you and not about us, all about your glory, not about ours. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.